When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This is the Project Dublin Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. On this episode of the show, we speak with our friends at Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever about the recent unveiling of their monumental campaign, Call of the Uplands. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 135. Project Up and Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. If you want to get the most out of your dog, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. To help unleash your dog's maximum potential, check out the new Yukonuba Premium Performance lineup at yukonubasportingdog.com. And by CZ USA. Shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind, from the Bob White and Sharptail side-by-sides, to the Upland Ultralight and Wing Shooter Elite over and unders, and the soon-to-be Project Upland CZ USA crowdsource shotgun, which I may have just seen a sneak peek of a prototype. That's all I've got for now. More to come. They've got pumps. They've got semi-autos. CZ USA has a shotgun for you. Head over to cz-usa.com to find your next bird hunting shotgun. And by Electronic Shooters Protection. Custom molded, custom fit hearing protection. Lets you hear what you want to hear and blocks out everything that you don't. Learn more and get yourself a pair at espamerica.com. And by Sage and Breaker. 
makers of gun cleaning products that protect legacies. The legacy of your firearm, the legacy of the sport, and the legacy of passing both down to future generations. Sage and Breaker lives, breathes, and makes everything at the highest caliber possible, and they are proud to pass that caliber of craftsmanship on to you. Learn more at sageandbreaker.com. And finally by Dakota 283 Kennels. Unparalleled protection, one-piece rotomold design kennel, frame steel door, everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip. Check out our latest original film featuring Greg Cronkite of Dakota 283 in the Dakota 283 story. Check it out at projectupland.com or dakota283.com and check out their kennels while you're there. All right, this week's winner of the podcast giveaway, Eric L. from Alaska, way up north. Eric sent me an email, gave me a little background on his upland hunting story, formerly of Iowa, bird hunted when he was younger. Past few years, he hadn't been out until this fall. He's back in the field, and he's bird hunting in Alaska. He actually sent me some pictures of some hunts that he was on pretty recently, too, so I'm jealous, Eric. Project Upland t-shirt headed your way very soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. You can leave us a rating, leave us a review in your podcast app, subscribe to the podcast, share an episode, send us some feedback or a guest suggestion or a bird hunting story like Eric did. We'd love to hear from our listeners. You can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, today we have former guest of the podcast, Bob St. Pierre of Pheasants Forever, along with his colleague, David Bew from Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever. I will let them tell you a little bit more about what they do at the organization. Our conversation today is about an exciting initiative just released last week from Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever, the Call of the Uplands campaign. It was all over the place on Thursday and Friday. You may have seen something already. If you haven't, tune in. This is a huge, monumental campaign orchestrated and being carried out by the Habitat organization, Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever, trying to impact habitat, engage new hunters and conservation conservationists and influence advocacy and policy for the birds and the habitat we all love and they are doing all this on an epic scale it's really ambitious they've made a ton of progress already but they need your help my help to see this thing through and they're committed to it for the next two years we're going to learn all about it today and with that said i want to welcome into the conversation and onto the project upland podcast of pheasants forever and quail forever bob st pierre and david bue welcome my guest to another episode of the project upland podcast with me i've got a couple of a uh, couple of guests from pheasants forever quill forever one former guest of the podcast and one new to the project upland podcast looking forward to chatting with these guys today and we've got a whole bunch to cover but i want to start with some intros bob as a former guest of the podcast i just looked it up episode number gosh i'm forgetting now it was 38 <laughs> or 36 but it was july of 2018 so uh, a while ago now since you've you've made an appearance on the podcast but introduce yourself and tell me about a little bit about what you do for pheasants forever and then your bird dogs too yeah well nick great uh great to be back uh really appreciate you providing this platform for for our organization to to talk to your listeners and it's wonderful to see the growing project upland audience out there yeah. i'm a big follower of the Facebook page and Instagram, and it's it's wonderful to see the growth. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm um, I, I work at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Been here 18 years now, so time wow. flies. <laughs> uh, my my title is um, Chief Marketing and Communications Officer. That's just a fancy 
phrase for you know anything that you see with our name, logo, messaging, social media, TV show with with Travis Frank at the Flush, um, the publication that all sort of runs through my shop, my yeah. the team, and um, you know I, clearly it's a dream job. Um, you know it's something that I grew up being very passionate about the outdoors, bird hunting in particular. Growing up in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, um, through high school, college years, when I moved to Minnesota, and then even I had a had a detour in professional baseball career for a little while, and uh, but the the one constant was was bird hunting, and uh, my my bird dogs. I'm I grew up as a Brittany guy. Uh, I fell in love with a lab girl. And the uh, marital co- marital compromise between a Brittany and a Lab is a German short hair pointer. <laughs> That's a fact, huh? <laughs> no, it's clearly a fact. Uh, it's, um, anybody can tell you that, Nick. <laughs> um, and so I have um, I I love bird dog names. Anybody that knows me knows that. And I, so I, I reach back to my Michigan and my baseball connections with some of the names. Yeah. My my eldest bird dog um, that I first got as an adult. Her name is Trammell, named after the Detroit Tiger Hall of Fame shortstop, Alan Trammell, who was my childhood idol. And uh, she's still kicking it. Uh, she's coming up on, like I said, 14 years 14. old. It's a joy to see her get around the house every day. She's she's um, pretty much retired from the field, but she's still my best bud. Yeah. Uh, my second pup, who did pass away young, was... Uh, Izzy, named after Steve Iserman. Yeah, that's Another, my favorite. <laughs> so that throwback to the Detroit Red Wings Center. Uh, my third pup, uh, my hometown is named Escanaba. And everybody that grows up in Escanaba, Michigan, calls calls my hometown Esky. So my third pup's name is Esky. And then my newest puppy, uh, who's one year old, um, connects to my love of the place that both of you get to live right next door to, and I don't, uh, and that's uh, Gitchigumi, yes. uh, Lake Superior. And so my one-year-old is Gitchy. So I, I love my bird dogs. I love bird hunting, and, and I'm deeply passionate about the role as an employee of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever to, to perpetuate something that's you know part of who I am and so many of your listeners. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty obvious bob for anybody that listens to on the wing podcast or fan outdoors or really sees anything that you do and you uh you kind of live and breathe this stuff and that's one of the things i really appreciate about you i do love that you're 18 years deep now and you continue to post the picture of your first day at pheasants forever (laughs) (laughs) i love that picture (laughs) i i love that i still wish i looked like that (laughs) uh hemp necklace and uh non-receding hairline as well (laughs) you know that's what uh, one of the things that i've treasured most about this pandemic and i'm sure that's gonna catch listeners awkward and treasured about a pandemic right um seven years working in baseball i got to wear a hat every day to the office and you know i left that behind when i went to Pheasants forever and quail forever but i work out of my home now yeah and um now i i you know Kind of wear a hat at most times. Now. The listeners so, can't see it, but yeah, you're back to your old ways. <laughs> yeah, got a baseball cap on, so you know my coworkers don't see how far my hairline is receding. 
<laughs> what? Do, well, tell me, how far is it getting back there, David? You must know. It's getting back there. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason he wears a hat every day now. <laughs> and that voice, uh, the other voice you hear, listeners, is our, our other guest today, David Bue of Pheasants Forever. David, uh, as you and I have chatted briefly now, we share uh, really a, a place of residence somewhat in common. You're just up the shore from me, and uh, we'll look forward to getting you, getting to know you a little bit more and maybe talking about some of the uh, some of the upland bird hunting opportunities around here. I'm sure our paths have probably unknowingly crossed out there somewhere. But uh, sure why don't you tell, yeah, tell us a little bit about what you do for Pheasants Forever, and then tell me about your bird dogs. Well, first off, Bob is living the dream. <laughs> uh, we, yeah. both, we both uh, are just so very fortunate to be a part of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Um, I, I sit on the executive leadership team of the organization, as does Bob, and I oversee kind of our fundraising area of the organization. I've been a part of the organization for 15 years, Bob, and so time time does fly, and uh, it's it's been just a, it's been a delight. Um, I would say our our heaviest lifting is ahead of us, but we're we're excited to talk to you about some of those things here today. Bird dogs. We could talk all day about bird dogs. Um, good. I have two Vishlas, uh, Scout and Ruby. Scout is named after a, uh, a lake that uh, my family has been going to in Canada for a long time called Scout Lake. It's part of the Laxul chain. Cool. Um, Ruby is an interesting story. I, I actually, she, She's just two. Um, I actually was voting for the name Motley, um, which kind of fits her personality a little more after Motley Crue. <laughs> yeah. uh, but my wife won out on that. We went with Ruby, and she's turned into a great bird dog. Uh, my first two bird dogs were also Vishlas, Denver, and Aspen, um, with a little connection to John Denver uh, and where he lived at Aspen, Colorado. I'm a John Denver fan as well. So Love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, we, we do have uh, something very big significant that we're going to spend some time on today but before we jump into that i got a couple quick things and i will i'll start with you david you're going to kind of take the lead on our main conversation today which has to do with the call of the uplands and we're going to get into that but in your world in pheasants forever is there anything else new just kind of the fact that we haven't had you on here to talk about um is there anything else on your plate that you'd like to make listeners aware of at the moment for pheasants forever great question you know um i guess one thing i'd highlight we've been working on public access opportunities since our founding days, really. Um, But just recently, we've added that formally to our mission statement. And um, through that effort, um, you may have heard of a program that we call Build a Wildlife Area. And that's been a highly successful program in Minnesota, Montana, a couple other states. And we're going to be, over the next couple of months, um, expanding that nationwide. So stay tuned for some fun land acquisitions that we're going to be working on that'll be open to the public forever. Um, so that's one thing I'd, I'd definitely highlight. Good deal. And Bob, this is the time of year that we would uh, we would have probably just been coming off of our Pheasant Fest high, but uh, mm. as, as most folks know, we did not get to gather for Pheasant Fest this year. But uh, give us a quick update on Pheasant Fest and then anything else in your world before we dive into Call the Uplands. Yeah, great uh, thank you for that opportunity. National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. You know, really, when you think back, it was the last yep. major gathering of the outdoors community before the pandemic really took hold um, a year ago in Minneapolis. And we were all slated to have it take place um, 
you know, mid-February in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and for all the obvious reasons for the safety of all of our partners and members and employees, no. um, we had to cancel it, um, which is a bummer, but uh, uh, fear not. There will be another one. In fact, there there will be one every year, yeah. <laughs> right? So, so we will be in Omaha, Nebraska for March. So it's slightly later okay. next year, March of 2022. Uh, and then, you know, we, we're obviously going to get back to Sioux Falls as soon as possible. Yep. Um, it's a tremendous city, market, state, incredibly supportive to our mission. Um, but... We have a couple of um, towns that we have contracts with that are going to proceed it, Omaha being the first, and then Sioux Falls is right around the corner for the next time. So folks yeah. can can uh, see the dates, and in fact, we're selling the heck out of booth spaces for March of 22 really? already. <laughs> well, I it's, suppose people are pretty jazzed it, up about it. <laughs> it's going to be the biggest show in the Uplands in, in our history. Wow. And it's just... It's just um, you have a component of all these folks that had bought booths for Sioux Falls yep. that they've already like just re-upped for, for the Omaha event instead. And it's been since 2000 and I think it was 2010. No, it was 2011, the last time we were in Omaha. So a better part of, you know, 11 years. Yep. So there's a lot of appetite to get it back there. Cool. All right. Anything else out of the out of the marketing department that you're that you're working on at the moment? I mean, you're doing podcasts. We I was just on your show, the Mixed Bag Mashup. I'm I'm about halfway through the part two of that episode, so I'm keeping up to date on all your on the wing podcasts. Yeah, the, lots of fun um, having you and and uh, Darrell, Tyler, Travis, yeah. Marissa, and, and Ron Bame on a couple of shows. Um, you know, the outside of what we're going to talk about, the focus here and within the focus of call of the uplands there's a whole lot going on yeah. but outside of that we we have a content series we're just kicking off called path to the uplands cool which is about how all all sorts of elements to engage new people in upland habitat upland conservation and upland hunting so we understand that like for for us the three of us we we kind of grew up upland bird hunting bird dogs, but not everybody follows that same quote unquote path. Yep. And so the content series that we're just kicking off and, and folks can follow along, it'll be multi-platform video, podcast, written form, journal stories is, you know, the uplands are truly a choose your own adventure sort of, sort of experience. And um, so we're going to create lots of different avenues whether you're a foodie a dog lover um you like adventure you know exercise yoga you know there's all sorts of really interesting ways to connect to the uplands so so look for that on our websites awesome definitely looking forward to that i like you said I, we definitely sort of have found our way into this and david i don't know as much about your backstory but we'll maybe we'll get some of that later but upland birds have been oddly a part of my life for a long time just growing up here and and that's the way that i came about it and it's the way a lot of people do come about it but it never ceases to amaze me how many emails i get from listeners of the show readers of the website that are just finding upland hunting and they i mean they're head over heels just into yeah. it and 
puts a smile on my face to know that people can find it. You never know what sort of pretext people come into this under, but it's important, I think, that we have a lot for them to see, watch, learn, read about, and I think that's what we're all trying to do. Yeah, and it's, you know, out of even tough things, like I think about, I mentioned my my second pup, Izzy, who passed away, the dog named after Eisenman. Yep. The... I, I st- that happened in 2012. To this day, I get emails. I got an email from a young young guy in, in um, St. Croix Falls here a week ago about um, his pup passed away and he reached out to me and that created why he got involved in conservation. And, and yeah. I, I think that was one of the hardest moments of my life. But out of even some of the sharing some of those stories, like hope and amazing connections sort of burgeon forth. And um, so so the Uplands, uh, unlike so many things in life, the Uplands have the power to connect people. Yeah. That is just remarkable. Yeah. All right, David. Well, I do normally ask folks that come on the show to tell me how they got into Upland hunting. So before we dive into Call of the Uplands, we'll have you give us a brief sort of description of how the outdoors slash upland hunting bird dogs. How did that find its way into your life? Yeah, good question. I grew up with it. it, it it's in the blood. Um, you know, my my family uh, bought a little house in south central Nebraska back in the early '60s. My family, being from North Dakota and at the other side of from Kansas City, just happened to be kind of a place in the middle that had birds. Perfect. And um, <laughs> it started a great family tradition. Uh, we've been making the, the journey there a couple times every year, and um, it's uh, it's just been a, a great way to stay connected as we've grown older together and introduced the next generation into the sport and yeah. um, brought friends along and, and these types of things. So it, it's in the blood living up here on the North Shore of Lake Superior. Nick, you know, we, we get to stumble out the door and get after some rough grouse as well. And that's become a big passion of mine the last wow. 20 years or so. Um, so absolutely, dogs came into the mix. You know, when we first started going down to Nebraska, we didn't need dogs. There were birds everywhere. And um, then when we introduced the first couple of bird dogs to the mix, the passion level shot up higher. And uh, yeah. it, it, it grew from a uh, uh, men-only family tradition to uh, now it's very much men and women and nieces and nephews involved. And I would say some of the, the, some of the girls are much more passionate than the guys in the family nowadays. So cool. it's fun. Did work bring you to this part of the world, to the, the icy north shores of Lake Superior? It, it did. Uh, good question. <laughs> Another thing in my family, we're a family of bankers and bird hunters. <laughs> and so cool. <laughs> um, my grandfather was a, a banker, my dad and uncle. And, and out of school, I, I, I worked in banking and, and uh, worked for the old Norwest Bank organization. I actually was CEO of uh, Norwest when it became Wells Fargo okay. um, back before uh, joining Pheasants Forever. So that, that's what brought me to Duluth. Well, I'm a I'm a finance guy at heart. I was a finance finance major in college and spent some time working in that industry down in the Twin Cities. So I, I knew I liked you, David. <laughs> 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 well, let's let's jump into it. Call the Uplands, David. I'm told that this is. Uh, I know there are many many hands in the pot and many people working to uh, to bring this to life. But um, I know this is something that you've been working on a lot. So tell us about Call the Uplands and 
we'll get into this, the kind of the logistics of it a little bit. We're recording this about a week ahead of when Pheasants Forever is going to announce this. This won't be aired until that is announced, so there'll be some stuff for people to go look at right away. But um, we're coming up the right at the end of February. There's a major announcement, and stuff is starting to filter out. But call the uplands, David. Take it away. Yeah, something big is coming to the uplands. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're, we're pretty excited about it. Um, but I think, you know, before just kind of talking about this massive initiative of Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, and the entire upland community, you know, just to reflect on the why we're doing this. You know, we just talked about a lot of people that are new into the upland um, tradition and hunting. For those that have been involved a long time, we've seen it. The loss of wildlife habitat year after year, and it's getting worse. But with each passing year, um, I know Bob can probably rattle off some of the statistics here better than I can, but in the last 12 years alone, we've lost 53 million acres of grasslands in North America. That's a pretty short period of time. Yeah. Put that in perspective of size, that's the size of the state of Kansas. The entire state that amount of grasslands that has disappeared in the last 12 years. So we can't let that continue. We, we, we need to, uh, I guess, kind of draw a line in the sand here and um, move forward with a, a new recipe for helping offset that loss and hopefully protecting grassland habitat in ways that we never have before. It, I was talking about Nebraska. I, I just... Uh, before our recording here, jotted down a list of some names. So hang with me here, guys. I'm going to name these off, and you tell me if you know what's in common with these. They're all places in Nebraska. Cinder's Weeds, the Old Windmill Place, the Mother Load, the Runaway Quail Spot, <laughs> the Burned Out Place, Jeff's Gullies, Old Man's Place, the Evergreens, Denver's Pond, and Animal's Mom's Place. I, I certainly have a feeling those have got to be hunting spots. I'm hoping that they're not all hunting spots that have gone away, though, David. Well, you're right. They're old hunting spots. That <laughs> that uh, my family and friends had something memorable happen there. But yeah. they all became almost rituals. We'd go back to these, these places. They were all um, private lands where we had been given permission by a family or a farmer to, to hunt and, and enjoy the property. You're also right. They're, they're all spots that are now gone. Unreal. They're they're either um, plowed up. Uh, uh, one of them is a housing development, small little development. Most of them are now in corn and beans. Some of them were little odd areas that just got that got plowed under. They'll never be back. So you know you kind of think about this massive loss of grassland habitat, but then you bring it home to our own experiences, and oh boy, that's so true. The other unfortunate reality is that. Our list of spots remaining isn't as long as the spots that I just went through that we lost. Yeah. Um, so th this is a very personal thing for for the three of us, um, and I'm sure with many of the listeners here today. Yeah. Oftentimes, whether or not it takes that to really hit home, but when something does touch your backyard, per se, or a place that you've been makes it personal, I mean, it takes on a, a different feel at that point. Yeah. You mentioned your backyard, right? And that's that's really to drive home the point even further. When when I, so I'm a Gen Xer. I'm growing up Saturday morning watching cartoons in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, <laughs> right? And the, 
and the the public service announcements that are on Saturday morning commercials are save the rainforests. Now you might be too young to remember this, Nick, but maybe but yeah. It, the, <laughs> but but that's that was the the rally cry of the eighties. We need to save the rainforests. Well, to David's point, you know, fifty three million acres of grasslands disappeared from our backyards on our generation's watch right now. I love the rainforest. I've never been there. I know they're important, uh, but I really love the uplands, the grasslands, the savannas, the sagebrush. And I'm passionate, and as we all are, about pheasants and quail and sharptails and, you know, all these amazing birds that we get to experience chasing behind our, our favorite bird dogs with our families and our friends. And uh, that's what this campaign is about. Call the Uplands is to put a, to reverse the trend, to save our rainforests, right? They're, our rainforests are the grasslands yep. and now is the time. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you started with why David, because I, I know there's a reason that in some of the materials and the things that I've seen regarding this campaign that you led with the loss of 53 million acres. I think the thing that struck me the most, and you guys both touched on it is the time frame. I mean, the, the period of time that that loss happened. I mean, it's, that's essentially overnight as far as the environment is or the ecosystem is concerned. What can we attribute that to? Development is one thing that's offered up and it sounds like that's, most of it are there other factors at play that are that are taking away the grasslands yeah in, in many ways it's been kind of the perfect storm um in a lot of the what we would consider the traditional pheasant range through the great plains and upper midwest we've seen just a tremendous conversion from small grains to row crops um corn and beans so um, a lot of different uses for the land than than we saw many years ago we used to talk about well there's more farming fence for row to fence row Mm -hmm. Uh, producers have gotten larger too so there's more demands on the landscape Um, we had a very robust crp program for many years that program is now at an all-time low Uh, we're working to change that Um, but that that uh, uh, certainly has been a significant part of the problem as well so after we identify the why in this significant giant loss of grasslands and potentially the future of the things that we love, whether it's hunting or just the habitat, the wildlife, all these things in tandem are kind of what fuel the passion of the folks that listen to this podcast and both you two guys. What is the approach that the campaign kind of takes on this three pillared approach? Let's, I think it's now would be the right time to run through those three pillars and look at the things that Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever are trying to address surrounding this major why, this problem. Yeah, you bet. Well, you know, we, we, we spent quite a bit of time and energy just understanding the problem um, in order to address what we could do about it. We think we have the solution, uh, and it's, it is more of a crusade, if you will, for the uplands than anything else, but it's tied to a very strategic and scientific plan. We have over 400 initiatives that our team of biologists and strategic partners helped us to develop several years ago. We've wrapped them under this umbrella of Call of the Uplands. It's going to take some fundraising. You know, we, we aim to raise half a billion dollars over the next couple of years, $500 million, um, to help offset some of these losses and permanently protect some, some lands that, that need it before they're gone. 
is that size of fundraising effort is that kind of uncharted territories for you guys or have you have you done anything similar to that in the past yeah this this is by far and away our biggest fundraising endeavor um, in our yeah. history for the uplands in general this has never been done before um, and it's going to take an all hands on deck approach with our chapters and our volunteers our agency partners uh, great organizations we work with for many years like Nestle Purina and John Deere and Lando Lakes and others that have recently stepped up to really help us with this endeavor. Go ahead, Bob. Well, and it is, you know, a lot of folks know us as the membership organization, right? And and they pick your favorite species, ducks, turkeys, trout, you know, you join an organization as a member and you get a magazine subscription and you know, obviously that's similar model for us, but we're also, you know, for folks that know what this term means, a 501c3 charity. So like your favorite church, or I'm a, I'm a diabetic, American Diabetes Association, trying to solve diabetes, right? Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever is a charity just like that with a mission to achieve a goal. And our, our goal clearly put habitat on the ground. So you know, we are trying to change the narrative of who we are and how people look at us. You know, certainly membership is critical and that's a starting point. But it's also, you know, if you care about the uplands as, you know, it's intimately part of who you are, you can give back, whether that's financially or even straightforward ways, give, donate land, leave land in your will where we can take it, improve the habitat, and make it be a wildlife management area. So the point is to try to help folks start thinking about us as just like their church, like their little league, like the, the Girl Scouts. Um, this, is a, this is a philanthropic organization with a mission to deliver that uh, you can be a part of, and we need you to be a part of to fulfill fill dr- the dream that you have for a better upland world. And that that three pillared approach that I mentioned earlier, that's kind of it's built into sort of the structure of this campaign to kind of give folks sort of paint the narrative for people. And it's consists of correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's habitat conservation, education and outreach and then advocacy. So I'd like to take a moment to just kind of hit on each one of those pillars and talk about sort of the main driver behind each one of those habitat conservation. We could all probably conjure up some ideas what that's about, but. David, I'll let you tell us a little bit more about what the specific initiative entails. Yeah, and you know, we've been known as the Habitat Organization, so it kind of makes sense. In fact, even uh, the other two pillars of education and outreach and advocacy really tie back to the Habitat work that we intend to do with the campaign. So we talked about some of the loss of grassland habitats. We know that we need to impact 9 million acres of strategic upland habitat over the next few years before it's too late. That's an overriding goal of this uh, initiative. Through that, we also intend to permanently protect 75,000 acres of habitat, again, in very strategic locations, close, close to maybe other wildlife management areas, WPAs, quail focus areas, those types of things. And... Uh, really, you know, strive hard to create public access opportunities along the way. Um, And again, this is all tied back to a a very um, well-developed strategic plan that will impact the right 
um, habitats for upland species. What are a couple of, of examples of impacting 9 million acres? That's obviously, that's a ton of land. It's, you know, it's not it's not 53 million that we've lost, but it's a it's a heck of a start towards that. Uh, what are some examples of what that habitat impact could look like? Could that be working with a farmer to improve their working farmlands for wildlife habitat? Some other examples of what that could look like? That's a great example, Nick. We have a team of about uh, 270 farm bill biologists that work with farmers and ranchers and help them determine how best to put the right type of habitat on their farms, make every acre count, and uh, uh, make it the best they can be. So that, that private lands um, aspect is a big component of it. Um, we also have a team, what we call habitat specialists, that work on a lot of public grounds to help make them um, better habitat for, for wildlife and for the state agencies that own them. And, and obviously that bleeds into the advocacy pillar, right? And yeah. You start to start to attack on acres there. So, so part of it, as David mentioned, with farm bill biologists, well, leading to the farm bill biologists is the farm bill. <laughs> and as, yep. as David mentioned earlier, we're at the all-time low of CRP, 20 million acres. And an important point here is there is hope because it wasn't very long ago. I'm only thinking about 2007 that we were at like legendary highs for pheasant numbers, South Dakota, Minnesota, North Dakota, Kansas, and that was when CRP was at 36 million acres, right? So 36 million to 20 million in the span of similar time frame to what we're talking about in this 53 million right. loss. But there's there's a lot of hope there because now you look at what what's being talked about related to CRP. Like CRP is still America's number one conservation tool for soil health, for water quality, for the creation of habitat for wildlife, and it's now the the top of the pyramid for the climate discussion. And CRP planting grass, grasslands, yep. pheasant habitat, quail habitat becomes emerges as you know what? We get more of these acres on the ground. Like let's think about let's dream about fifty million acres of CRP on the ground. Yeah. And it's not it's not a dream. You know, it's it's a it's a goal that we're striving towards to make a reality. Um, because the, the winds of change have opened up new doors for CRP right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would just kind of build on that. I, I mentioned we've had the perfect storm over the last several years. I think we've got a perfect opportunity right now, given some of the things that Bob had talked about there. And, and you know, there's just a lot more focus on the environment than we've seen in many years. And um, we need to do our job to make sure to link that back to grasslands and the impact that grasslands can have, not only on upland game and wildlife, but things like water quality, pollinators, monarchs. You know, a whole plethora of benefits that come with more grasslands in the right areas. Now, the Farm Bill, I've begun to get a better understanding of this, really from talking to folks at Pheasants Forever and just paying attention more. But it's the acres of CRP are tied into the Farm Bill. And the Farm Bill just came up, was it a year or two ago already now, Bob? Uh, it was the 2018 Farm Bill, so... A couple years, and now actually we're closer to the next one yeah. than we are from the last one. Okay. 2023. 
okay. is the next one. So we actually, you know, it's no coincidence that the farm bill's coming up underneath this campaign. Got it. Uh, and, and we don't, you know, the farm bill is only one component of the solution. It's a big component. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of our upland hunters can make the connection between what CRP means for walk-in programs, what CRP means for bird numbers. But our advocacy, unlike 20 years ago, doesn't start and end with the farm bill. It's, it's, it's the beginning of the conversation for us. And that's, that's part of the campaign too, is to help, you know, any successful business diversifies. Yeah. Right. And that's, uh, that's part of how we've evolved as an organization and we've improved our, just take the pollinator example as a, um, Example of message diversification. Yeah. It's the exact same same habitat we've talked about as brood cover since 1982. But the the ability to educate folks on kind of the connection between honeybees, the food you eat, and the fact that pheasant hunters have lobbied for CRP to create this sort of brings it full circle and changes the lens with which the general public views an organization like ours. Yeah. As far as I understand it, the farm bill has a, if there's a quota in there for acres, like max CRP acre enrollment, right? And isn't the current farm bill, isn't it something more like 28 or 20, 28 million 27. acres, 27 million acres, but we don't have 27 million enrolled at this point. Yep. So that we're, we're at currently at 20 yep. and the key is it's not just about that acre. It's about the soil rental rates that farmers, ranchers, and landowners are paid to offer for these programs. So that's part of a, kind of the inside baseball that we're working on sure. to, to help remedy the program to make it um, juiced up again. Yeah, again, for the sake of this conversation, you know, listeners can kind of dive as deep or as shallow as they want to go on things like the Farm Bill. But I guess I always come back to the point, I trust that Pheasants Forever has the people in the places in the com- you know in the room where those conversations are happening, and that's why they get my support. And the same could be said for the other conservation organizations that I support. You guys are the experts. I just want to empower you to go do it and speak on my behalf as an upland bird hunter and somebody who's passionate about this stuff. Yeah, and and to boil it down into simplest terms for bird hunters, if you hunt a walk-in program anywhere in America, that walk-in program doesn't exist without CRP. It just, that's the foundational component of Weehaw in Kansas, yeah. Open Fields and Waters in Nebraska, uh, OLAP in Oklahoma, IHAP in Iowa. If we don't have CRP acres, then we kind of are left with, if you got a private spot connections, or if you have access, if you live in an area that has permanent wildlife management areas or waterfall production areas or national grasslands. Walk-in programs are intimately connected to the farm bill. Yeah. So, uh, of course, impacting the habitat is the ultimate goal. You're working on doing that through advocacy, through policymaking. There's some key things going on there. But the pillar in the middle of this discussion, I think, is something that is going to interest and excite some listeners of the show, myself included. That's the education and outreach component, and that's really trying to engage a significant number of people on conservation, habitat, 
upland hunting traditions, the heritage, all the things that we love. And that's a, that's a huge initiative here as well, David. It really is. You know, had an opportunity here during this hunting season to take my niece on her first trip to Nebraska, join the, join the family on this deal. And it, that's when it clicked for me, what we're really trying to do with this education and outreach portion of our campaign. And that, that focus, we want to get one and a half million more people engaged in this tradition appreciating the outdoors and it's kids but it's also it's it's young adults people of all ages yeah. and in some cases it's reactivating getting some people that haven't been involved very much back into the sport appreciating the environment and the outdoors and bird dogs and all those things that make this thing great yeah the reactivation component of r3 which i think is a concept that a lot of folks are probably familiar with that's another thing i mentioned earlier i get emails from folks that are just starting out i get a lot of emails from people that are textbook reactivators you know upland hunted were exposed at a, at a different point in their life gave it up for whatever reason job school family kids all that kind of stuff but finding their way back in and the again the enthusiasm that these people come back with it's it just it never ceases to amaze me and it's certainly exciting and going to apply directly to some of the education and outreach that pf is going to do do we have some examples of some of the things that you're going to work on to try to engage these folks one and a half million potential new people for sure. And we've touched on some of them uh, a, a little bit, you know, pollinator projects, right? So schoolyard habit. We work with a lot of schools around the country is a really easy pathway to getting them to understand the connection between our mission, right? And, and how habitat affects the environment. So we're working with schools around the country on schoolyard habitat programs that are the focal point is on pollinators, right? Because we've all, we're in third third grade and, and raise the those larvae those monarch larvae yep. right to to when they bloom or um, release from that cocoon as a butterfly and that is such a critical component of a person's um you know understanding of kind of the web of life so that's one aspect of it uh the r3 you mentioned re- recruit yep. retain reactivate um you know teaching folks the connection between hunting conservation and habitat so we have all sorts of initiatives the path to the uplands the content series i mentioned trying to bring people in through a variety of different avenues because we know that for some it's going to be the connection to the food for others it'll be connection to the dogs it's really a choose your own adventure that folks um enter into this and and i think about one of the most important stories that we've produced in the history of pheasants forever was only this last fall was written by Eric Peterson called to make a pheasant hunter and Eric Peterson's story. He's a Minnesota guy living in Montana, Caucasian and he and his wife have a young son, Caucasian and that family adopts um, a young boy, Casa from, from Africa and he's raising them into this upland lifestyle as with two sons, right? One Caucasian and one African black youngster. And, and he wrote a story about just the differences in, 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 in how they're treated from the outside. But when you boil it all down, they're both his boys. Yeah. They're both his sons. And I think that that's a lesson that we can all really take a moment and, and recognize like the uplands doesn't judge 
gender, race, ethnicity, and and that's what we're very deliberately trying to be more inclusive in every aspect of our organization, and the portrayal of just different races in in our visuals in our publications on the website. So, so that's a long long winded example of of it's not just about youngsters. While yeah. that's a focal point, right? Um, it's about being a broader audience because this generation of 55-year-old white males that have carried hunting and conservation and license sales for yeah. for decades, they're aging out. And the complexion of America looks different, which means the complexion of our future in conservation needs to keep up with the times. And we need to embrace uh, embrace that the diversity that is the United States now, if we if we want to keep the uplands um, strong for a future generation, yeah, it's going to take going to take an army of folks, and that's again that it ties back to this pillar of of what you guys are trying to do. David, you got something to add here? Now, Bob hit on something there too related to you know our aging demographic. Um, another program we're really excited about is one that we call Women Caring for the Land. And it's just shocking to learn what you know percentage of landowners by by state are women that many of them are widows that don't know what to do with their property care deeply about it being in the family for so many years and in many cases just want to give back do something good for wildlife but don't know how to do that so that's going to be a very significant outreach effort for us over the next few years Um, we've got a lot to learn in that regard too but to provide that type of counsel to women landowners that that want to give back or care for their property beyond their lifetime how about the the learning to shoot component i saw mention of some learn to shoot programs um i don't know if that's new or if that's something that you know, I assume, you know, shotguns and shooting have always kind of been a component of what Pheasants Forever does, but that's an important one because it's kind of twofold. We've got this explosion of shooting sports in high schools, and that's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think a lot of us look at that as far as a potential feed source of new hunters, bird hunters, conservationists, people that are supporting this, but shooting sports are also big supporters of conservation through Pittman-Robertson, ammo, guns, firearms, whether you're hunting or not, that is a big part of the conservation funding that goes to state wildlife agencies. I think it's over 60%. I think I read that. Uh, Talk to me about what Pheasants Forever is doing in that arena. Yeah, it's important. You know, one thing we've learned over the years is the one and done mentor hunts or the one and done shooting events, they they really are one and done. And it doesn't create the stickiness that, that we need. Or the uplands need so, so that's why you'll hear us talking more and more about more drawn out experiences or relationships. A path to the uplands content series, uh, you know, women on the wing, uh, where we're trying to establish yeah. a relationship that doesn't just create a here's how to fire a shotgun at clay's targets. Well, yep. well, that's fun and a starting point. It can end there and. That's where I think we've gotten smarter over the years where, you know, we have much more integrated programs that that connect the whole family to kind of the experience that is the Uplands rather than a one-time event. Cool. I will say, we'll transition a little bit, but on the education and outreach, you mentioned, Bob, I think about 
being in the schools and doing some habitat projects with schools. And I think I would argue that one of the biggest successes of Pheasants Forever is sort of expanding the chapter network and the PF and QF network beyond what people think of as sort of old pheasant range or quail range. And I mean, the prime example is right here, St. Louis County, you wouldn't think of this as pheasant country, but I know for a fact that we've got a great pheasants forever chapter here in St. Louis County. And even driving around town, there's a couple of those school habitat projects that they've got signs up. And I've seen kids out there in the, one of them's a little forest and the other one is by the school um, up by the golf course. When I drive by, I see that and I just smile because I think, you know, pheasants forever is in the right place at that point. A testament to that is we just recognized the number one membership generating chapter of Quail Forever in the country. And that that chapter is in Wyoming. No way. And Nick, there's no quail in Wyoming. (laughs) It's a southern Wyoming chapter of Quail Forever that had the largest Quail Forever banquet in the country. Wow. For two two years running. Not like this is an anomaly. Two years running because... They love our model in that, that model where the chapter raises the funds and gets to decide how to spend that, those funds yep. in their own community, whether that's to put on a youth event or work with our government affairs team on farm bill policy in Washington, D.C. So, it, you know, it's, it's a, an oddity, but it goes to your point where the beauty of that model inspires people, even if they don't live in the heart of Pheasant Range, South Dakota. You know, it, it's been it's relevant to a chapter in San Diego, California, Wyoming, Montana, you know, Oregon, uh, you name it. We have chapters that are doing amazing things for the wildlife habitat mission. Yeah. Well, to sort of tie up Call of the Uplands, it would be hard to do in a, in a short podcast like this. And folks, there'll be a lot more information coming out about this, but... When this comes out, there will have been a video, a public release by Pheasants Forever, Quill Forever. Will that be available for listeners to go and check out so I can link that? Yeah, you bet. It'll be on our websites, pheasantsforever.org, okay. quailforever.org. Uh, and then it, it'll be on, on social media too. So, yeah, it's going to – we want everybody in the world to see it. Yeah. So let's preview it here just in case folks come to the, the Project Upland podcast first. If we send them to – this call of the uplands video webpage. What are they going to find? Yeah, they're going to find a an overview of the the campaign pillars that we just discussed. Okay. Um, learn a little bit more about some of the um, details behind Call of the Uplands and our strategic plan. They'll also be able to learn how they can step up and help make a difference. And there's a whole number of ways. From Bob talked talked about the importance of membership, how to make a conservation easement happen or make a gift through your will that doesn't cost you anything today. So learn a little bit more about that, but also just connecting to what that will mean for the uplands in in days to come. Excellent. I will make sure to put that link in the show notes. And again, when folks hear this, they will be able to go check that out. I'm looking forward to it. We got, I got another seven or so days to wait before I can see it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we got a little bit of time left, so I I will definitely encourage folks to check out Call the Uplands. I'm excited about the initiative and the efforts, and we'll be following closely along, and we at Project Upland will be helping you guys out as much as we possibly can, so I'm excited about that. But I want to talk a little bit about bird hunting and uh, circle back and recap a little bit on the season. Bob, I talked to you last week, so I kind of have a feel, but we'll give you a little freedom to – 
talk about your bird hunting season, maybe some of the things that you did, some of the places you went to see. I know you, your first spruce grouse was involved this, this year. Yeah, yeah. It's about inter- time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've talked about chasing a sprucey for a long time, but I've only actually hunted them twice. So it was the intersection of a couple of things that I, lo- I love and am passionate about. Um, obviously, bird hunting, my bird dog, and it was literally on the border of the Boundary Waters, which is yeah. um, just one of the best places on the planet. And um, I would love to be able to tell you that my young Gitchy was a rock solid point and uh beautiful <laughs> shot nothing like that happened <laughs> uh sprucey kind of flushed wild out of a grove of tamaracks and uh made a good shot and dropped it um but that was that was easily one of the high points um i yeah. i i did a lot of a lot of uh, sharp tail hunting this year north dakota cool. um south dakota just I, you know i i think i think our national grasslands are some of the most underappreciated pieces of public property in this country. And I sampled a few of them this year and just, I love the big walks, especially with my GSPs. And um, so, yeah, I had a wonderful season and you name it, pheasants, quail, rough grouse, sharpies, sprucies, uh, you know, even was able uh, early in 2020 to get down to Arizona and, and chase three different species of quail down there too. So it it was a, it was a fulfilling season for me. Yeah, That's Nick, good. now you know why I say Bob's living the dream. That's just a sliver of the hunting he did this year. David, you should have heard you should have heard our mutual friend Tyler Webster describe his hunting season on Bob's podcast. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he puts us all to shame, but he's uh, what I would call lifestyle design. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, tell me about uh, tell me about what you did. Now you're living on the North Shore, so I imagine you find your way into the rough grouse woods a little bit. But uh, what else do you find yourself doing? Yeah, I do. In fact, I'm sure we have some similar haunts there. Mm-hmm. Um, boy, rough grouse hunting this year was phenomenal. We got up kind of a similar area where Bob got his uh, spruce grouse this year. I love hunting along the edges of the Boundary Waters and I've done a lot of solo trips in there myself. But rough grouse hunting was just was just great this year, early season anyway. I didn't get out much late season. My wife and I had a trip out to Montana for their opening week and I had a great experience on a uh, property that Pheasants Forever acquired uh, the last couple of years along the Teton River. I just had a had a Beautiful. had a wonderful yeah. trip. Yeah, and then a couple of trips to Nebraska. Um, little uh, little tougher hunts there this year. The quail numbers were down a bit, but but still great times. When you were in Montana, was that a sharp tail and Hungarian partridge focused trip? Sharp tail and pheasants. Um, we didn't pheasants. we didn't okay. see any huns um, on this okay. particular trip, although it was an area where there should be huns. Okay. Again, the rough grouse season, I would echo that. I had a good season. I ended up hunting, and I think I told Bob this, I, was, I hunted more in Wisconsin because, as you will know, David, we had some pretty funky weather mm-hmm. in this part of the world, and we had snow in October. I was just looking back through my pictures. I think it was like October 23rd, we got almost a foot of snow, mm-hmm. and then that eventually melted and we had 70 degree weather in November, but then we got a bunch more snow and the Northern part of Minnesota was snow covered for quite a bit, but there was some good late season hunting in other areas, but yeah, good season overall. I'm looking forward to getting back out there. What about plans looking ahead, Bob? You got a few months to go here now. We got <laughs> summer in between, but what are you looking forward to this year? Uh, you know, I have a couple of traditions that happen every single year. I've got Wisconsin grouse camp, uh, early October. If, if I could have okay. one day, all year, 365 days of October 3rd, 
I would take that. I just, you know, to walk into a forest that's uh, fruity pebbles colored, you know, and yeah. uh, that's just, that's glorious. But I've, I've got some trips in the works for national grasslands. I think everybody cool. should go hunt a national grassland every year just to experience. And that's, that ties back to call the uplands too. We're working on some, some yeah. national grasslands legislation because that's, um, you know, they're not, those are just so precious and there's opportunity there but so i got a, a big season ahead that's not all formulated but there might even be a horseback hunt trip in the future too maybe maybe you and zeman got I, something coming together he, he might hear this for the first time on your podcast <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you're inviting yourself <laughs> I, I know he listens every episode so i'm gonna he's gonna help me out with some uh training for gitchy so I'm I'm leaving this Easter egg for him, and we'll see if it comes Love up it. when I uh, when I see him next. Thanks for tuning in, John. <laughs> <laughs> David, how about you? Anything anything different? Or are you going to stick to the haunts? We'll have to we'll have to get together this fall. Yeah, well, sure. we're going to for sure. You know, <laughs> I'm just uh, blessed a, a two year old and a five year old bird dog that are just kind of yeah. coming to their prime. So yeah. you know, I, I've got to get out as much as Bob this year. Um, <laughs> you know. What I'm really looking forward to is that some of the traditions this year were kind of screwed up because of COVID. And, you know, I've got my best friend. I wasn't able to hunt with him this year. We always go on a a trip in January to Nebraska. That didn't happen. So I'm, I'm really hoping and looking forward to getting together with people again. Yeah, that was definitely an X factor last fall, and I know a lot of a lot of camps did not occur. There was one rough grouse camp that we do every year that didn't happen, and um, we'll hopefully be doing that again this October. So, well, guys, I really appreciate the time that you taking to talk to me and the Project Up and listeners. I appreciate all the work that you and everybody else that Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever is doing on a daily basis, but also in regards to the Call of the Uplands campaign. I'll look forward to keeping in touch on this and seeing more to come. Remind me one more time, where is the best place for folks to go to find out information on the Call of the Uplands campaign, David? Yeah, go to calloftheuplands.org. Calloftheuplands.org, easy enough. I'll put that link in the show notes. Guys, any final thoughts? Bob? You know, um, thank you for for having us on, and thanks for what Project Upland's doing to broaden the audience. You know, it's been, how old is Project Upland now? Five years? Uh, going on five years, yeah. Around 2017 was kind of when things started happening. And, yep. and when I think about, you know, the emergence of, of you know, what AJ brought and, and, and what you're doing and Chet and, and Darrell, yep. it's really expanding audiences that, you know, we we hope to engage in conservation. So, you know, I credit to everybody out there that's, that's come to, to Upland Hunting through different paths that didn't exist before Project Upland. Um, so thanks for, for your efforts, Nick. Yeah, I would echo, I'd echo that. You're, you're helping to answer the call. And uh, we'll have a lot of work to do together the next couple of years with Call of the Uplands. And it'll be an exciting period of time. And like we said, it's also very urgent. It's, it's the time to act and pull our community together. Yeah, a lot of things coming together here at, at a critical moment in time, which I think is is evident. And there's no doubt, yeah, the excitement that the new folks are bringing, I think, is it's refreshing to see. It's promising for what you are trying to do and what we're trying to do, and uh, I'm excited about it. So thank you guys again. I appreciate it. That's David Bew and Bob St. Pierre from Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever, and that does it for this episode of the Project Dublin Podcast.
Thanks for tuning in to the Project Upland Podcast. That does it for this episode of the show. A quick reminder that the Project Upland Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, CZ USA, Electronic Shooters Protection, Sage and Breaker, and Dakota 283. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.